Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of 1 Corinthians 15. That's where we stopped last week. We're going to come back to that. But we're continuing our study of the planning committee, the works that they did last year in 2022. And we're looking at the impact it's going to have on Christian Fellowship Church in 2023. So we're putting together a series of messages to start the new year. And we're going to eventually be this morning in John 17, verse 3. So you might want to put a marker there if you want to get ahead. But my theme today, as we work through this, is the idea of, I want to make sure I hit the right button, knowing God, okay? Is this... Oh, there it is. The importance of knowing God. Now, why am I talking about this? If you look on the outside of your bulletins, we have our new vision statement. We have our new mission statement. The vision statement, remember, is the big picture. And yes, it's not knowing God is the vision statement. It's knowing Jesus, making him known in the community and around the world. But we're going to see those are somewhat synonymous. So I put this message together with the idea of the bigger picture, but... Ultimately, for the Christian in our era today, having a relationship with Jesus Christ, having a knowledge of Jesus Christ is what we need to have and what we want the world to have. So we'll see how that fits together. When we talk about a vision statement, it is the big picture. And when you look on your bulletins, there's not a lot of, there's no verses on there. So our vision statement is to know Jesus, make him known in our communities among the nations, the reason we're not putting verses is because it's so broad. And I didn't want to emphasize just one or two verses so that you would think that is just the one place that our vision statement appears or our mission statement appears. Today we're going to talk about one, if not one of the most important topics in the Bible. And this is a good day for you to be here. And I'm going to show you why this is not an overstatement. I hope to present the material well, and if I don't, it's not going to make the, ma the subject matter any less. This is very important that you grasp this. We're going to be talking about knowing God. And if you're unfamiliar with this concept, you might say, why is this so, un so important? Well, I want to show you. When I went through <coughs> preparation for this, I found like 50 plus verses that directly dealt with knowing God. That's a lot. And it's all part of, step back, digress, big topic, Word that you may not ever hear on a regular basis, use in common communication, but epistemology. What's epistemology? It's the big picture theology. How do we get knowledge? How do we get information? And there's a whole science to it, okay? So we're not going to delve into that, but I just thought I would just touch upon that for those that like to do their theological studies. Knowledge of God. So here we go. What I want to do now is start with a sensory overload. I'm not going to ask you to write these verses down. You want to do that, that's fine. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. I am going to put through up here a series of verses with the word know or knowing, highlighted, bolded. And this is for one purpose only, to let you hear the verses with sensory overload. I want you just to catch a feel for how important this doctrine is, okay? You, are you, everybody with me? So Psalm 100, David, know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
This is a declaration. This is what you're to know. You're to know that the Lord is God. Jesus, speaking about unbelievers who were bringing persecution on him, says, these things they will do because they have what? Not known the Father or me. Knowledge of God is critical for a relationship. When you know God, you act differently. When you know God, you act differently. Unbelievers, people who don't know God, they don't care. They're not getting up in the morning reading their Bibles. They're not caring about how they act, and they will kill Jesus. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Understanding God. God talks about knowledge, and there's going to be different words in Hebrew and Greek for knowledge and stuff. I get that, but the concepts all run the same. God wants us to know and understand truths about him. It is not just an arbitrary book that he's given us. It is a book with lots of information. Colossians 1.9, as the Apostle Paul is praying in prison for this church that is in Asia, that is now in modern-day Turkey, he says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, because he's heard about their faith, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be what? Filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because as you know God's will, as you understand God, then you can do his will and you can live it out. He continues on, very same passage, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he wants you to be filled with knowledge so that you are a knowledgeable person. As Paul writes, so does Peter. Peter says, as he begins his last book, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. God the Father, God the Son, right? So there we go. He wants grace and peace to be multiplied in the knowledge, how grace and peace are tied to information that can be added to our knowledge. Romans 11.33 is a passage that you should all know. It is at the heels of this 16-chapter book, the book of Romans. And I saw a meme last night that you could spend your entire life in the book of Romans, and I think it's true. Romans 1 through 8 describes the incredible salvation plan. Chapters 9 through 11 talk about how God is working through the nations and has a plan for the nation of Israel. He's faithful to Israel. When the Apostle Paul comes to the end of it, he bursts out, recognizing that God has this incredible plan, and he says, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Now, that doesn't mean knowledge is unfathomable. It doesn't mean we can't understand knowledge. We can, and we do know what he has communicated to us. Ephesians 4.13, as he prays for the church and he prays for the, the, the building up of the body, he says, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I've been on this topic lately about maturity. Maturity, a lot of times people don't grasp what maturity is. Parents, this is what you're looking for with maturity. You're looking for completion every attribute that they that uh, an adult should have you want your children to eventually have 
God wants us to be mature people. So you take the 15 verbal adjectives of love, and this is what I did on Wednesday when we had our Bible study Wednesday at 7 o'clock, and we're going through a passage, and it talks about love. Love is described with 15 verbal adjectives. Somebody asked me, how do I know I love somebody? Are you patient, kind, not jealous, not bragging towards them? That's love. So when you look at the 15 characteristics of love, love is patient, love is kind, doesn't jealous, is, is not jealous, doesn't brag, isn't arrogant, there's the first five, isn't rude, doesn't seek its own, doesn't act out of provocation, there's eight, forgives, which is number nine, doesn't take into account wrong suffered, number 10, doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, number 11, rejoices in truth, so I don't bring porn into my house, I don't have premarital sex with my girlfriend because I know that that would be sin. I don't steal from my boss because that would be sin. I don't rejoice in unrighteousness. I don't lie to somebody because that would be rejoicing in unrighteousness, but I rejoice in truth. I wanna do things God's way, all right? I bear all things, meaning I'm not a gossip. That the first bird bear doesn't mean that I, I endure things because that comes next or a bit. I bear, I believe, I hope, and then I endure. There was 15 attributes of love. You say to yourself, boy, I do really good. I've, I have knowledge of how those play out, and I'm good in 10 out of 15. That's not maturity. If you're an adult and you're 40 years old, 50-year-old, 60-year-old, and you say, I've got 10 out of the 15 down, guess what? You're not mature. Christ wants us complete. He wants us to have knowledge of the Son of God because the Son wants us to know love, to be a mature man, and the doctrines he wants us to know to be mature man. He wants it complete. We, so we all attain to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man. Here's a kicker. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Galatia, was writing to a church that was pushing circumcision. Today, churches so much don't push this, they put baptism. Baptize a little infant, they think they're a Christian. Parents think they're a Christian. We're going through our church history thing. We saw the, the pilgrims and, the, and the, in essence, the Puritans went really askew because they baptized their kids. They thought they were Christians and, and they went off theologically. And God sets this great book, the book of Galatians, and Paul is trying to say, don't go back to foolish ways of thinking people become Christians and thinking this is the way you do it. And he says, but now you've come to know God, Okay in the sense of having a relationship with God, or rather to be known by God, because we look at God as being the initiator of salvation. How is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things? Why are they weak and, and, and worthless? Is because they can't change you from the inside. Christianity is not a function of just you coming here and doing a religion. It is, we're gonna see, a function of saying, I know God. Now, when we talk about the fact that it is a relationship, I know that sometimes that people want to say completely, oh, it's definitely not a religion. I say, I get it. Christianity is still a religion. I get that. But at the heart of it is that it is a relationship. And knowledge is a word that typifies that relationship. So the planning committee came up with this, our vision statement to know Jesus and make him known in our communities and among the nations. Because when you know Jesus, you know God, okay? So back and forth. And then we talked about the fact that to glorify God by making disciples by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now listen, I'm not trying to denigrate the gospel. 
The gospel is everything, as we're going to see here in a second. But the gospel is the avenue or the mechanism to get us to know God. And, and some people, when they say, oh, I believe in Jesus, and they're like focused on the gospel, listen, the, the end game is knowing God. You should know God. You should have a relationship with him. You should know Jesus. There is a sense because this isn't just, hey, I'm joining a club here today. I have to actually know him. And that is why you, more than anything, have to say to yourself, do I have a relationship with him? Because if you don't, if you're not waking up every morning, if you're not studying your Bibles, if you're not regularly coming into an awareness like, wow, I just learned something from God. Please, don't look at this as, I'm trying to be down on you. I'm just letting you know, you're in trouble. Why? Because we talked about this gospel, and you're in 1 Corinthians 15, and last week we were talking about how important it is to be evangelistic and how we need to get the gospel out, and the reason is because it is the only good news that matters. Okay, so the Apostle Paul, we said, this is where we stopped last week and talked about, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which also I preach to you, which also you receive, and which also you stand, by which you are saved. Saved from what? Saved from what? Saved from judgment, punishment, a place called hell. Listen, a lot of people don't get this. A lot of people don't realize this. Because obviously our world isn't, receptive often to the gospel, but we're not as aggressive as we need to be. Most people don't know they're going to hell. Most people don't know that when they're born, they're already destined to go to hell. And why is that? Because the gospel is very, very clear that all have been born in sin. In sin, my mother conceived me, David said. David wasn't talking about that his parents had premarital sex. David wasn't talking about that it was out of an affair. No, David was talking about the fact that sin, which Romans chapter 5 talks about, which if you're a believer by now, you should all know that Romans 5 talks about the fact that sin gets transferred from Adam on down to every one of us. So that the moment you have this wonderful baby that's brought into your home, the, main, the moment you hold up your child, you need to know that that baby has sin operating in it. And it is destined to die. And this morning, you get up, you read the newspaper, and you go through a section in the newspaper that will be there tomorrow, and it will be there next month. It is called the obituary page. And in the obituary pages are the list of people that just die. And I'm blown away that it's February, and... I go to this one website and it constantly is putting up celebrities that have died in 20, the new year, 2023. And already there's been this long list of celebrities and you can go back to other years and say, when did this celebrity die? When did this person die? And because the reality of it is, is everybody dies. Everyone in this room is going to die. And it is not because we don't have better medicine or better health clubs. It is because there is this problem that every one of you have. It's called sin. And, and, and unless you're concerned about it, you're, you're just here because you have a different agenda today. Maybe somebody's dragged you here and you, you're just like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll use my morning up. But I'm asking you to understand, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And as the Apostle Paul goes through this text here, 
He says in verse three, for I deliver to you as of what? First importance. Why is it of first importance? And I beg you to underline this or highlight it. It is the number one goal. There are stock tips, Super Bowl tips, gardening tips. There is all kinds of tips I could give you today. But the only thing that matters, because the only thing that matters is that you have a relationship with the God, man, Jesus Christ. And I just so want people to understand that we've got to have a focus. We've got to understand it is first importance. God's telling us this is the top priority. This is why in a vision statement, we said to make Jesus known so they'll know God. And so the apostle Paul says, for I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, last week we went into more detail on the gospel. I'm not going to go through that again, but I just want to summarize that I have asked you to memorize that the gospel has five topics, and each one of those you can delve into theologically through the entire Bible. But it's out of this passage that numerous theologians have said it is one of the best summaries of the gospel. You should know, man's sin, person of Christ, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, faith alone. And I've challenged you, even if you say to yourself, I am not good with memory, I believe that you can get those down. You can write them on your hands. And someone came up to me last week and they had them written on their hands. And this is it, man's sin. You all know two verses by this. Romans 3.23, all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. What's the problem with sin? The wages of sin is death, scripture says. Death is a physical death. It's a spiritual death. The reason God judges it, you can go into a whole doctrine of holiness, the whole whole idea of what love is out of this because God hates the sinner. God looks at people who are sinners as his enemy. Romans chapter five also makes it clear that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. The person of Christ, you have to understand his uniqueness that he is God and man. Matthew chapter one, he is called Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew chapter one, he was born as a human. Luke chapter two, he's born as a human. Book of Luke, he lives and walks and breathes as a human. Why does Jesus have to be God? Because only God can make the penalty payment. Why is it differentiating him from every other religion? Because he is not Buddha, he is not any other type of religious leader because every other religious group identifies their a man who became God. We recognize uniquely that God became a man and that is a line in the sand. No other religion has that. His death is what we call a substitutionary atonement. Passages like Romans 4.25, every gospel as well records his death Passages like in Hebrews chapter 7, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 7, talk about the completeness of what his death did. His death is what is called a substitutionary atonement. What does that mean? It's meaning like if you owed a fine and God, like if if, if you were fined, by a judge, and a friend of mine told me yesterday that he got a speeding ticket. 
and he doesn't know if it's gonna be two or $500. And if I said, out of my benevolence, I could pay that for him, that would be a substitute payment. Jesus' death on the cross, scripture goes into it in great detail how he made a payment for us. Book of Galatians, you can do a deeper study on why no one can add anything to it. It is an offense. If anyone says, I was baptized as an infant, if anyone says, I am a member of Christian Fellowship Church, if anyone says, I'm, I gave money to this church, that's why I'm going into heaven, God is offended. God is offended. He doesn't want you to light a candle. He doesn't want you to do any good works. He wants you to realize he paid it all, all to him I owe. His resurrection is often taken off of the gospel because we quickly just want to say Jesus died for our sins. But passages like we have here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4, as well as the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, as well as every gospel, talks about the resurrection. The resurrection proves that Jesus, the resurrection proves that Jesus' payment was successful. His payment, because what you owe God for your sin is your life. And you cannot make that payment, but was it made effectively? Yes, and 1 Corinthians 15 through its 58 verses goes more into the detail than any other chapter in all the Bible on the resurrection and clearly resonates with us that if we see the resurrected Jesus and we understand Jesus to be resurrected, we who have placed our faith in Jesus are guaranteed to be resurrected as well with the new body that's described in 1 Corinthians 15. However, the kicker for all of us is faith alone. At the end of verse two, he talked about believing. He talked about believing in verses one and two of 1 Corinthians 15. And believing is a reliance, it's a dependence. Do you rely upon Jesus Christ? And what we have said with the idea of faith is that it is not a one-time commitment, it is a lifetime commitment. Hence the person that says, I believe in Jesus, but then goes to the bars and gets drunk, goes out and gets high, the person that goes out and steals and doesn't live for God, and also, also doesn't care to read their Bible in the middle of the week. Listen to me. When we have faith in Jesus, we are depending upon him for salvation, and it carries on through all of our life. And, 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 and it, it obviously, it starts at salvation, and we add that word alone because we recognize the Bible has passage after passage after passage that builds off of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, mean lose everything. Doesn't mean I'd be annihilated. It means you're going to lose everything. You're going to go to a place called hell, okay? But we'll have eternal life. By grace, we are saved through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, so that we understand it's not of works. We have to trust alone, knowing that Jesus paid it all. And all of these are integrated. They're tied together. You cannot have a study of these that all of a sudden skews any of these where you think, oh, I'm going to look at the person of Jesus and I'm not really going to think he's God. Or you're not going to understand the depth of sin when you study the doctrine of hermardiology, which I've told you before is the doctrine of sin. When you look into the whole person of Christology, the person of Christ, you're going to understand the, what's called the, you know, the divine union. He's fully God, fully man. You're going to go into what is the atonement concepts of the death of Christ, the resurrection. And you're going to understand that it has to be 
all faith in him. Look, when you result in all of that, what does it get you? What it gets you, what you get you is a knowledge of God, a relationship with him. When we're going to go through, we're going to go through passages over the next two weeks. This is a two-week study. I know that some of you guys don't, you don't like foreign languages, you don't like Greek, but I just thought for those who want to pay attention, when you study your New Testament, there are two words that whenever you see the word know or knowledge, the root of the words are either going to be this word, gnosko, which means knowledge from experience, or a Greek word, oida, which knowledge that is absolute. What's the difference? The more I experience you, I get to know you. So it's knowledge from experience. We go out, we play catch, we go out to dinner together, we go out and we um, bike together, we do something together. And, and through that, maybe I learn what your favorite food is and I learn what you like to do in the evenings or whatever. That's gnosko. It's knowledge gained through experience. Oida, two plus two equals four. It's absolute. It is absolutely true that I'm married to Becky. It is absolutely true that I live in Indiana. Now, I could move to Illinois, and then the absolute truth was I once lived in Indiana. That'd be an absolute truth. So, yeah, within Oida knowledge, things can change, but Oida is just more the absolute fact. I will do my very best as we walk through some of these passages to tell you which Greek word is being used. And I think you'll see it has an influence. So here we go. Knowing God is foundation, it's foundational to everything important in life. Turn in your Bibles to John 17. John 17. This is the passage in which Jesus Christ is coming to the end of one of the, long, the longest that I can tell places in all of scripture where he talks. John said, this is the last night of his life, and John, parts through 12, but 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, Jesus is just talking. And for those of you who have red letter editions, he's just talking, talking, talking. And as he comes to 17, there's this incredible prayer. And, and in this prayer, Jesus lifts up his eyes to heaven. Look at verse 1. And he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. The son may glorify you. Because he's, he's, he's coming to the end. He knows he's going to die. Glorify means like promote me or honor me. Even as you've given him authority over all flesh so that all, to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Jesus is the one who ultimately is giving eternal life. So, let me digress. I die. Right now, meteor comes down, kills everyone. I'm the first one to stand up before God. Judgment day, he comes in. <coughs> Mike, why should I let you into heaven? You can fill your own name in. Jesus is going, I'm going to say, not because I've done anything good, God, but because this guy standing right here, my advocate, 1 John chapter 2, is the one who paid the penalty for my sin. Jesus will somehow, some way, say, absolutely, I paid for him while he was on earth. If you do not have that relationship with Jesus, when you stand before God, it's going to be just on you alone, and you're not going to be able to pay that. So, Jesus is the one who gives eternal life. Now, look at this is the line we're getting at, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, 
what word is used here? Gnosko, which would be more influential of a relationship. The idea is that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. All right? Now, we're going to go through a couple other passages in the next few weeks. But the idea here for this first one is that this one, you fill in the blank, shows knowing God is an eternal relationship. Edward Bloom in the Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, Eternal life is defined here by Jesus, involves the experience of knowing the only true God, which you could tie into Matthew eleven twenty seven. It is a personal relationship of intimacy, which is continuous. Oh, it's present tense. It's present tense. It's ongoing and dynamic. The word gnosko here is in the present tense. And I'll tell you what, and I'll put this here so that everyone knows this. This concept, when you read, when you read about knowing God, if anyone studies epistemology and you come and you look and you talk, I want to know about knowing God. There is not a, a theolo, theolo, theology book, almost a commentary that does not have this illustration. And that illustration is this, that knowing God is akin to sex. Everyone. Because in Genesis chapter 4, in Hebrew, Adam knew his wife and then they had children. Why would that be descriptive of knowledge? Because it is the most intimate, it's the most detailed, it is a relationship that is designed for marriage, which people grow as one and they become a team. And God recognizes that, so he uses the word know often for a sexual relationship. And so this commentator is noting the exact same thing. John MacArthur says, in contrast to the pluralistic claims of the contemporary religious culture, eternal life comes only to those who know God. What in the world is he talking about? Do you see what he says in verse three? Look again, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. We've been studying pluralism, okay? And as I got an excellent answer from Ella this morning in Sunday school, Pluralism means multiple, multiple religions. There's all kinds of religions meeting this morning or all week. But when we say there's only one God and only one way to heaven, we are being exclusive. Some will say, that's arrogant. Who are you to say that? It is because it is the only way. All right? So with that idea in mind, what I want you to understand is I want to turn you over to one passage because when I said to you that I've said to you that knowing God knowing God is a relationship is that true is that just something that Christians like to throw on us no I want to show you something when you start studying the concept of knowing God you've turned in the first John chapter one There's synonyms for knowing God. There's synonyms for salvation. And one of the greatest synonyms is the word fellowship. All right? The word fellowship conveys a partnership. It conveys the idea of being a team with God. And in 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, as the apostle John is writing... He says in verse 3, what we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
These things we write so that our joy be made complete. A fellowship is a partnership. It is a relationship. In Luke chapter 5, Peter and John are in a business fellowship. Many of your Bibles have the word partnership. Off the top of my head, I think it's, it's either Luke 5.12 or Luke 5.21. When you see them describing John and Peter in a business and they call it a partnership, it is a fellowship. The reason I want you to understand this is everyone here who's a believer, you should say, I am in fellowship with God. I am in fellowship with Jesus, according to verse 3. And it is our joy, verse 4, when we let other people get saved, which we saw in Luke 15. You see how this all comes together? When they come into the partnership with us. Now, Mike, you're just bringing too much together here. And what I want to show you, and the reason all these verses are, and I can email these to you, is do you see what every one, when it says supported by these verses... Do you know what every one of those verses has in play? The word knowledge. Every one, and it goes back and forth through the entire book, and I wasn't going to confuse people. Knowledge. Let, I just want to read. Let me just read so that you're reading. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 to 5. By this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says I've come to know him and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, what we know, we are in him. You catch that? Eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ. Obedience reveals that you know him. Look at verse 20 to 21, chapter 2. After he tells us about the Holy Spirit... He says in verse 20, you all have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. What do you know? There's a sense where we know truth. It is because of the Holy Spirit's work in our life which distinguishes us from other people that we have an awareness of what is true and what's false. Look at verse 21. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and no lie is of the truth. So if I told you this morning, you could go to any church you want, you should immediately say, oh my goodness, That's a complete lie. If I said to you, Jesus is just one of many gods, complete lie. And you would instantaneously know it. Why? Because, not because you've been just beaten down with this truth. It's because the reality of it is, is you know what the scriptures say. And you know this because God has confirmed it. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God, such as we are. For this reason, the world does not know us. Again, affirming that unbelievers have no clue as to who we are, what we're all about. Verse 2 goes on to say that, beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We will know, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. In our knowledge, there gains greater confidence knowledge verse 5 you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin there's an absolute knowledge look at verses 18 and 19 little children let us not love with word or deed but deed and truth we will know by how we love by deed and truth that we are truly different verse 2 of chapter 4 by this we know the spirit of god how do i know someone comes up and says oh i feel like the spirit's moving me Uh uh-uh you got to show me from the word 
We know. How do you know the Spirit of God? Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come is from, is from the flesh, is from God. Doctrinally, someone, I just get up here and say, well, God's given me a message. Wait a second. You can't do that. And every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. So I've been talking to people about how these TV preachers get on television and they, you know, God's telling them this and God's telling them that. And this is, this is a way that you can know God. Uh-uh. You've got to go to the word. Verse 6. Look at verse 6. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. What do you mean, listens to us? I'm not saying Pastor Mike because this could be easily twisted by a manipulative pastor who says, oh, you just got to listen to me, and I'm the only way. Uh Uh-uh. The us there is specific. It's the apostles, John and the others, who have given us the New Testament. He who is not from God doesn't listen to who? They don't listen to the New Testament writers, which obviously I'm hoping that I'm following. But if I, it's not me that becomes this arbiter, okay, of truth. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of air. Spirit of truth, spirit of air. There's a test there. Verse 8. Keeps on going. The one who doesn't know, the one who does not love doesn't know God, for God is love. So there's this relationship, knowledge, love comes in this. Verse 16, we have come to know and I believe the love which God is for us. God is love, okay? So boom, more love, more knowledge. What I want to get to, 513, this is the famous passage in chapter 5. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that what? You may know you have eternal life. And then... 15, 18 to 20, 15. We know that he hears us. There's a confidence. Knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. And then verses 18 and 19. We know that no one who is born of God sins, and he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one doesn't touch him. We know that we are of God. Verse 20, and we know the Son of God. Listen, this is just one book, but 1 John is a book that wants to know you to know that you're in fellowship with God. So here we go. Wes, if you could shut it down now, because I'm not going to go to the next slides. So my question is, how is your knowledge of God? Do you know the eternal God? Are you thankful for what he's given you? Are you overwhelmed with the reality of that knowledge? Are you reading his word? Are you praying? Because there is an experiential knowledge. You can't say, you know, God is teaching me this. God is showing me this. I get that. But what we want to say is, is that as I, you're growing and it's all more and more with this information that God has given us, are you praising God because you can't believe what he has given you? And how certain are you about your future? We have this relationship and this is the end goal. The end goal is not just to say I believe in this gospel, this gospel that is the most important thing in the world. This gospel that is so critical, what is the end goal? Is a relationship with God. We're going to be in heaven a million years from today, and I'm going to praise God. I'm going to thank him for the gospel, but I'm going to be overwhelmed with the knowledge that I've gained over the last million years because I get to know him better. And the person that gets it is pursuing God now. So we're going to have communion here in a bit. But I want to ask you, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know God? And if you don't, repent. Turn and say, I need Jesus into my life. Because the Bible is clear. As sure as you're in this room right now, you don't know when you're going to die, but you will die. 
I was on the phone, I told you guys all know my good friend. Great conversation, nine o'clock Saturday night, two weeks ago. By six o'clock in the morning, he's near death because his heart burst. Your heart could burst. Someone could kill you on the way home today. Today is the day of salvation. Make sure you know him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you've given us so much information about knowledge. And I know this lesson is going to be expanded even next week. But I pray, God, that it has sparked in people the passion to study your word, to pray more, to be led by the Spirit, to be people that are in service for you, living out their Christianity, obeying the scriptures, not to earn salvation, but to evidence it, to practice love, not to earn salvation, but to practice it. But God, I know there are people here that have just come and they don't know you. And I'm asking God that whether it's today which I hope it is today, but something will be sparking in and they'll say, wait a second, I gotta get to know this God. And may it be today. Amen.